Another week is upon us and another case needs told. This is Grim Curiosity with Calliope and Jane. I love your Mike's barn roof. (laughs) I want it. (laughs) Okay. So my case today, it's actually two cases, but we'll start with the first one. And it is Paul Ezra Rhodes. And this is an Idaho case. And okay. So Paul was born January 18th, 1957 in Idaho Falls, Idaho to Augustus and Teresa Rhodes. He was the oldest of their four children, and he ended up with polio when he was four and had to be hospitalized for it numerous times. His parents didn't get along and were constantly arguing, which is always, you know, a fun upbringing. And then Rhodes started drinking at the age of 10. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like a 10-year-old drinking. We're like, okay, why is he able to get alcohol? But probably because his parents were busy arguing. And then he dropped out of high school and then he started using drugs and was battling a methamphetamine addiction when he was arrested for work. He would take various jobs around Idaho and the surrounding states hanging drywall, which we know someone that does that. And in his, (laughs) and in his downtime, he would break into houses and steal anything that he thought would be valuable. You know, the typical hobby one does when they're not working. (laughs) (laughs) why that's what drives me nuts (laughs) when people steal is it's like that person worked for that like okay story time do you remember when I used to collect those little 50 cent stickers you put in the 50 cents in the machine I know what you're gonna talk about because I so know who stole those okay and there used to be a machine that you put 50 cents in and pull a sticker out and they were in like cardboard things. And I was collecting these and somebody stole mine and I was so upset. And they said it was just 50 cents or whatever. And I thought it was you that was like, if it's only 50 cents, they'd get your own. That stuck in my head where now when somebody steals, I'm like, okay, well, if it's only that, then go get your own. That was theirs. That's not yours. Yeah. Who stole those? Mariah. What a bitch. I know. I was so mad because I loved them. I loved the roses that were all sparkly. (laughs) Yeah. And you even had like some clown looking ones. Yep. Like Joker looking ones. Yeah. They were all hanging up in her room. There's my side story. Yeah. So, I mean, (laughs) and maybe he needed to hear that too, because, you know, he's sitting there stealing everybody else's shit when he's not working. Yeah. And he was six foot two and 259 pounds, which is actually a pretty big guy. That's, I was going to say that, that a big boy. Yeah. And then now we're going to get into the murders. There's not a lot about this case. That's what's kind of hard about covering like smaller cases is there's not a lot of like coverage on them. Right. And like a little Idaho case obviously didn't have a lot of coverage. So like I looked through a few different places, the sites for the towns and stuff that talked about it or whatever. And all the sources will be linked. 
So his first known victim, like the first victim that he will later get charged for, was Stacy Dawn Baldwin, was a 21-year-old clerk who was abducted around midnight from her night shift job at Red Mini Barn, which was a convenience store in Blackfoot, Idaho. And then her body was discovered at 9.30 in the morning on March 1st of 1987 in an archery range that was about five miles northwest of Blackfoot. And she had been shot three times. And the police had assumed it was a robbery gone wrong. And how scary. You're just sitting there working your job and some guy comes in and kidnaps you and takes you five miles away and shoots you three times. I mean, who knows what actually happened? Like, I don't know if it was a robbery, if he did take stuff from her. He doesn't really. He took her away from her job. Yeah. Yeah. She was working. She was working the night shift at, at a convenience store and he came into her work and took her. Do you remember that guy at the convenience store when I was working that came behind the counter and pushed me in the little corner and that one guy we went to school with came in and ended up calling the cops and the cops showed up? Dude, I'm, I think about that every once in a while. I'm so thankful he did that. I remember even writing him after that because I was so thankful that he did that. I wrote him on Facebook. What'd he say? I don't remember. I mean, something along the lines of like, of course, I would do something about it. So yeah, she was taken from working. That's awful. And shot three times. And then the next victim is Nolan Haddon. And he was a 20-year-old clerk for a convenience store called Buck's Gas and Grocery in Idaho Falls. Okay, so he has something against grocery store clerks. Yeah, it sounds like maybe just the convenience of coming in and seeing just empty store, nobody there but the employee. I don't know. But yeah, he was found severely injured in his work's walk-in cooler on March 17th of 1987, and he was rushed to the Eastern Idaho Regional Medical Center and died hours later from his injuries. And it was determined that he had been shot five times. So he was shot five times and left for dead in his work's walk-in cooler. So he's like freezing and injured. I wonder if being in the cooler is actually what kept him alive. Cause you know how, when you're cold, it kind of like slows stuff down, like your body and stuff kind of slows down. Yeah. Because being shot five times seems like a lot of times to be shot and still found alive. That's so sad. Does it say where he got shot? Obviously not on the in the head. It doesn't say on any of these. It didn't say like where the bullet wounds were. And then the third victim was Susan Michael Balker. And her body was found on March 21st, 1987. She was a 34-year-old special educations teacher who had been abducted from a parking lot of a supermarket two days earlier. Okay, this guy is weird with grocery stores. Yeah, and so March 19th, the day that she was abducted, she was not feeling well that day. So she called in sick to work and still had to drop off lesson plans at Eagle Rock Junior High School. And then after that, she stopped at the supermarket on her way home. So had she been working that day, none of this would have happened. So she stopped at the supermarket on her way home to grab some groceries and she disappeared. There was a citywide search for her the day she went missing. And as we know, her body would be found two days later. This is a trigger warning, but she had been shot nine times and raped. But according to the autopsy, the rape might have possibly happened after her death. What? Yeah. So. Wait, why? What? What? What makes them think that? I don't know. There must be something that's looking like that. But I, it also like, I wonder if it's something where maybe she died during it or maybe he did both. I don't know. So and she he was, doesn't ever clarify. So 
she was shot and then he raped her mm-hmm. with her being injured yeah wow that's disgusting well i mean he's obviously really disgusting and her body was found in a remote lava field about seven miles west of idaho falls there were women who came forward later saying they found roads in their cars but he had run away when they confronted him And they also think that he had been scoping out the parking lot of that supermarket like all morning trying to just find somebody that looked vulnerable and easy to take. And there were also witnesses to Susan's abduction. So people actually saw him take her. I guess she went to get into her vehicle and he ran up behind her and pushed her over into the passenger seat and jumped in the driver's seat and took off and people saw it. And those people, those witnesses, they were able to pick him out of a lineup for the guy that they saw take her. A grand larceny arrest warrant was issued for Rhodes on March 27th, 1987, and he was found and arrested in Wells, Nevada at a casino. So he was just over there gambling after being a little piece of shit. And he was in the casino because he had run his car off the road and it got stuck. So then he had to walk somewhere. Only this wasn't actually his car. It was his mom's car and she had reported it stolen. Good. Yeah. Yeah. So he was held at the Nevada Highway Patrol office and in his possession was a handgun that was given over to Idaho authorities and the bullets inside the gun were an exact match to the ones used to kill Stacy, Nolan, and Susan. And they decided to try all three murders separately. I'm not sure why they decided to do that, but they did. They tried all three of them separately, like in separate trials. Is that to potentially get the max sentence possible for him? Maybe there's actually a few things in this where I, if this is normal practice, I was unaware of it, which I'll talk about when I get there. But his first trial uh, started on January 18th, 1988. And that was for the murder of Susan Michael Bacher. So he, that was the one that he abducted from the supermarket. His attorney tried for an insanity defense, but that was rejected by Idaho Supreme Court, which good for them. One of the prosecution's witnesses was Nevada detective Victor Rodriguez. What is that banging? I no, think I it might be a neighbor. Okay. Um, do you think that with him drinking at such a young age, it could have prevented his brain from fully developing? So maybe he really does have mental illness. I mean, it could for sure, because stuff like that really does just fuck up your brain permanently and and it like stunts growth in different places. So, I mean, he's still a piece of crap for what he did. And I I don't think an insanity plea should be used. However, I'm just wondering, drinking at such a young age, I feel like would just really mess you up. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it did, but like how big of an idiot do you already have to be to be drinking at 10? Like what kind of life could you already be leading at that point? Which I mean, obviously a 10 year old still a child, but it's like, that just shows that the parents definitely failed there. Oh, for sure. So one of the prosecution's witnesses was Nevada detective Victor Rodriguez, who claimed that him and five other officers heard Rhodes admit to killing Susan while he was in their custody. But none of the officers filed the statement in their reports. And Rodriguez said it was due to an oversight. No, but then when, no. If that's yeah. your job to do that, you do that. That's not an oversight. That's you being crappy at your job. Yeah. And, but then when he was cross-examined by the defense's attorney, Rodriguez said it never happened. So like he went back on all of it. He said that that confession never happened. So he said that him and five guys heard, uh, five other guys heard 
him confess to it and then it didn't end up in the report and then when he was questioned by Rhodes attorney he tells Rhodes attorney that none of it ever happened so it's like who knows but obviously I'm going to lean towards it never happening since I would hope information as big as talking about murdering someone wouldn't be left out of a report over an oversight like I just don't see that especially like that six people that supposedly heard it and six of them didn't put it down like I don't think so yeah no I don't think so either And stuff like that always makes me wonder why even put him on the stand? Like, why would the prosecutors be like, let's have him go up and say this, even though there's absolutely nothing that's going to back it up and then admit an oversight. Like, cause to me, if somebody was like, oh, I heard him say that he killed them. Oh yeah. Give me the reports. Mm, It's not in the reports because we didn't put it down. It's like, okay, well then you're no fucking use to me. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) It could be that he's gambling, hoping that maybe the defendant's attorney doesn't have any objections to it and they just are able to use it. Or maybe if there's jurors, maybe he's just trying to plant a seed. I'm not a gambler. Yeah. I don't like being made to look stupid like that. So unless you're going to be giving me facts with proof and stuff to back it up, you're not talking in my case. (laughs) The trial ended on January 26th. The jurors deliberated for less than five hours on the 27th and returned with a verdict of guilty on all accounts or all counts, which were first degree murder and first degree kidnapping. It's kind of weird because Wikipedia talks about there being a rape charge and stuff too, and like something of defiling a body. But according to the Idaho Department of Corrections official site, you know, the IDOC, uh-huh. They only show him charged with first degree murder and first degree kidnapping. Oh, weird. Yeah. So I'm not sure if maybe they just want to, I wouldn't think that they would leave out charges on that since that's the official website. Yeah. But both of those sources will be linked if anybody wants to read them for themselves. And then the part that I was saying that I'm not sure, or that I didn't know if this is normal practice is um, like, if this is how all trials go. But his sentencing hearing was set for March 16th. So he was charged January 26th, but wouldn't know what his sentence was until March 16th. Is that normal? For some reason, I thought that like you would get your sentence when he, when the jurors come back with their findings. Oh, I have no idea. Yeah. So he just went back to jail until March 16th to figure out what his sentence was going to be, even though he was already found guilty. Well, that's all going to be time served, I'm sure. So even if they came back guilty, you have 25 years, but you just served three months. So that's going to be 24 years and nine months. Mm. Yeah. But while waiting for that sentence hearing, his trial for Stacy started March 3rd, which Stacy was the first one, the one that he took from her job at the convenience store. And this time the defense attorney claims Rhodes had a solid alibi the night of the murders since he was babysitting his sister's two children when the crimes took place and that his family members can also vouch for that and that a watch found in Rhodes' possession said to have been stolen off of Stacy was actually his own watch given to him by his mother as a Christmas present. And then the prosecution came back and pointed out that a shoe imprint found at the scene was an identical match to the defendant's unusually large foot and that the bullets from his handgun also matched the bullets used to commit the murder. So it's like, whatever, dude. Wait, was his, his family was trying to defend him or was he actually watching these kids and he like dipped out to go do a little murder and then. I'm going to say they're probably just trying to defend him because yeah. 
March 12th, Rhodes was found guilty on all counts, which were first degree murder and first degree kidnapping. And uh, the sentencing hearing for this one is set for May 9th. And then March 24th is when he gets his sentencing hearing for Susan and was sentenced to death for the murder charge and life in prison for kidnap for the kidnapping charge. And this big old drama baby bitch, when he heard he's getting the death penalty, grabbed the chair he was sitting on and threw it at the prosecutor. But a sheriff caught it before the chair could hit the prosecutor. <laughs> Are you serious? What a fucking loser. Oh, so- does it hurt your feelings when you're sentenced to death, even though you're going around killing people for no fucking reason and you're the fucking loser? He raped a girl and murdered her. Murdered three people. And he's upset that they're, they want him to die? <laughs> yep. What? Yep. So Rhodes was obviously escorted out of the room by the courtroom by deputies. And while that was taking place, his sister was busy yelling and cussing at the prosecutor, which if she's going to be yelling and cussing and causing a big old scene, I'm going to say I wouldn't put it past her to lie about Rhodes watching her kids that night that Stacey was murdered. So the whole family is just an entire situation. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) And then when Haddon's trial drew closer, Rhodes' attorney tried to get Larry Boyle, the judge presiding over Rhodes' previous two cases, removed from presiding over Haddon's. But this motion was denied. And it's just funny to think that they're like trying to get a different judge because he's all mad. That judge sentenced me to death. I want a new one. And then it's funny that it was denied. But after it was denied, wanting to avoid another prolonged trial, Rhodes pled guilty to all charges, but still retained his right to appeal. And his plea got him two life sentences instead of death penalty. So he just instantly got his two life sentences for pleading guilty. And then he continued to say he was innocent of killing Haddon and Stacey, uh, clear to his death. On March 13th, he got another death sentence for the murder of Stacy. So he got two death sentences for both women. And his attorney, before he got that death sentence for Stacy, his attorney filed a motion for retrial at the request of Rhodes' family members, which Judge James Herdon had denied. But the next day overruled his decision and would reconsider a retrial. But after hearing Rhodes' complaint for not being present for the arguments phase of the original ruling, the judge denied the retrial. And Rhodes was sentenced to death for the murder. And then 45 years for the other charge. But I just think it's funny that the judge is like, eh, maybe I'll give him a benefit of a doubt. And then after hearing him, he's like, no, this dude's a fucking loser. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> That's a no for me. Yeah. Teach me for trying to second guess my first decision. <laughs> yeah. Was he ever put to death? Yep. But some sad information about Nolan, the kid found in the walk-in cooler at work, is um, Bingham County Prosecutor Tom Moss, who tried both Stacy and Susan's cases, said that after Baldwin, so after Stacy was found, killed in Blackfoot, Nolan turned over a $5 bill that had come through his shift at work to the police because it appeared to have blood on it. And it, it turned out not to be blood, but he was like trying to help them catch whoever had killed Stacy. And he ended up being the killer's next victim, like randomly. Oh my gosh. Which is like, that's so sad. And then just like crazy that it's like, obviously he was a good kid to see $5 bill, like hear somebody was murdered and then be like, I do remember seeing money come through that looked like it had blood on it. So maybe I should give that to the police and make sure just in case. Wow. Yeah. And then he ended up being killed a few days later by the same dude, which also means that he was on the right track. Like obviously the roads went into his work, like was in that area, frequenting his workplace. 
So he ended up getting the two life sentences and then he ended up getting 45 years for each of the second charges in both Stacy and Susan's cases. And then he got the death penalty for Susan and Stacy. But Rhodes and his legal team spent his time in prison filing appeal after appeal in an attempt to have his sentence co- commuted. Like he did not want the death penalty at all. Some of the claims he were people. I know. And it's just funny to have like such disregard for human life, but then fight really hard for your own. If life did matter to you, why are you out there killing people? What makes you think your life is more special than somebody else's, especially when you've already proven that you're a big fucking loser piece of shit. Like you're the life that nobody needs. But um, some of his claims were legal technicalities, an abusive childhood, and cruelty of capital punishment. So he's trying to say the death penalty is unfair. It's like, you know what else is unfair? Killing random people that are just out there living their lives, not being a loser piece of shit like you are. All of the appeals were rejected and he was served his death warrant on October 19th, 2011, which set his date for execution on November 18th, 2011. And then November 4th, like they didn't stop trying to stop this. November 4th, the Idaho Commission's uh, Commission of Pardons and Parole denied Rhodes' petition for a commutation hearing to try to like stop it. November 14th, a judge denies Rhodes' stay of execution. November 16th, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals denies an emergency stay of execution. And November 18th, the execution is carried out. I know. Like, isn't that funny that it's like he's sitting there just trying everything he can to stop from being executed? It's like, was, gosh, I was sure. Executed? A lethal injection. What made me pick this case is I remember the day he was executed. Like, I remember sitting at work at my desk, perusing the internet. <laughs> <laughs> and seeing that uh, somebody was executed that morning. So I remember looking up this case. I was... Weird sitting at store 105 but uh Rhodes was asked at 8:03 a.m if he wanted to make a final statement which he told his mother and executioners that he forgives them and confessed that he had committed the Michael Bacher murder so he confessed to committing Susan's murder and apologized to her husband and still denied the murders of Stacy and, and Nolan Haddon telling their family members they would have to keep looking and apologize that he couldn't give he couldn't help them. It's like, what the fuck ever, dude? So you mean to tell me that somebody took your gun, shot two people, gave it back to you, and then you shot somebody else? Makes a lot of sense. But he was the second inmate to be executed in Idaho following the Greg versus Georgia, which I had to look that up because I didn't know what that meant. But it was basically the Supreme Court ruled in 1972 that the death penalty was unconstitutional and no longer allowed the death penalty. And then the Greg versus Georgia case, the Supreme Court overruled the 1972 ruling, ruling reinstating the death penalty. How is it unconstitutional to kill somebody for, I mean, if you're getting the death penalty, it's because you are a piece of crap. You raped people, you murdered people, and they feel that you should be put to death for it. Why are taxpayers paying for you to keep living? How is that I don't see how that is considered unconstitutional. I don't really either. Cause like to me, an eye for an eye type of mentality where it's right. like, if you're going to be a piece of shit, like I personally think that if you're going to be a piece of shit, they should just like, you know what they should do? 
with murderers that are convicted, they should hold a squid games. <laughs> right? For them. Like put them all in a bunch of different things, have them slowly start killing each other. And the one that wins can just pick any prison they want to, to serve the rest of their life. <laughs> yeah. But where they're like locked up for 23 hours of the day. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Like, so then they could just, so it's not like really winning anything. It just means that they get a fear for their life for a week. Yeah. And at least then they would be dying in like scary, crazy type of situations. So he was the second one executed after the reinstatement of the death penalty. And the first person executed was Keith Wells. And he was executed 17 years earlier. In total, since Idaho became a state, they have executed 11 people, county roads. And if you're curious, Rhodes' last meal was hot dogs, sauerkraut, mustard, ketchup, onions, relish, baked beans, veggie sticks, ranch dressing, fruit jello, and a strawberry ice cream cup, which was what all inmates were offered that night. That's a lot of food. Wait, he he chose that? No, that he just got what everybody else was having. I think they did away with getting to pick a last meal. Oh, okay. I don't see why they would do that anyways. You get one, one final delicious meal. Really? Did your victims get one final last delicious meal? No. I mean, most of his victims were freaking working, which how fun is that? (laughs) But doesn't that seem like a lot of food? I mean, that's way more than I ever eat in a meal. He's a big dude. That is true. He is a big dude. It was like the ranch and the ketchup and the mustard and the relish all like his his side drinks. <laughs> probably. They were probably all piled on of his hot dogs. And what does hot dogs mean? Does that mean he had more than one? Oh, sure. Absolutely. That guy probably put down at least five. Yeah. Um, the execution took place at Idaho Maximum Security Institution in Cuna, Idaho. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. You know what's weird is on the IDOC website, they actually do like a play-by-play of the minutes. Like it even says like 8.10 a.m. chemicals begin to be administered. 8.30 a.m. coroner pronounces him dead. I wonder if they actually die then or if there's still brain activity. Oh no, I'm guessing like the, um, they had it, they had it more broken down than that. Like David had the minute that the coroner came in like is like a minute by minute play uh play out of the day and the coroner pronounced his him dead like I think it was like 10 minutes or something after he came in so so however a coroner finds death dang I mean I feel like that lethal injection to me seems like it would be pretty humane I do too because don't you isn't that essentially what they do when they put animals down too like don't don't you you just just kind of just go to sleep Yeah. yeah Before this, though, like before the reinstatement, uh, Idaho did death by hanging. So the nine people prior were all hung. Um, Rhodes was suspected of other murders, too. And so I'm going to talk about those ones. And he's suspected of these ones because they fit his MO. And he could be linked to being in the area at the time of these murders. And they had all been killed using the same copper jacketed hollow pointed bullets that Rose used in the murders that he was convicted of. So May 15th, 1987, 
18-year-old Christine Gallegos was shot to death at a parking lot in Salt Lake City, Utah. And then April 25th, 1986, 20-year-old Carla Maxwell was shot five times while working as a clerk for 7-Eleven in Layton, Utah. Yeah, these really do follow his yeah. MO. Mm-hmm. And he was in the areas. May 12, 1986, 25-year-old Lisa Strong was shot on a street corner in Salt Lake City while apparently running away from her attacker. And then June 21st, 1984, 25-year-old Lisa Ehlers was shot to death at a roadside in Jackson Hole Valley in Wyoming. And then there was also another gun of roads found um, that linked, linked him to numerous burglaries and thefts committed around the area that those murders occurred to. But he was never charged for any of those. So I would be willing to believe those were him. Oh, yeah. They definitely sound like him. Yes. That's very but, specific. Yeah. And like people that are just walking in a parking lot, working at a gas station. Yeah. And it's weird too, that it's like his killings were for no reason. Like he wasn't taking stuff from them. No, he's just a piece of crap. Yeah. Cause it would like make sense if like nowhere said that the convenience stores had money missing or anything missing in them. So it's like he literally went in with the intention of just like killing the person that was working. But yeah, that's his case. And then the second case I want to talk about is Keith Wells, the first guy that was executed in Idaho after the reinstatement of death penalty, which he was also like died by lethal injection. But he was born May 11th, 1962 in Moab, Utah to Paul and Laurel Wells. He was the sixth of eight children who were all raised in Pocatello, Idaho, and were close-knit Mormons, which I don't know what a close-knit Mormon is, but what I'm about ready to say doesn't sound very close-knit Mormon-y to me. Well started experimenting with drugs and cigarettes at four years old. (laughs) One, two, three, four? (laughs) Four, (laughs) which I don't know how a four-year-old would have access to any of those unless they were being used in the house, which... Where were, her, where were his parents when their four-year-old is drinking and smoking? Like, what the fuck? I can't even imagine my four-year-old knowing how to smoke. Like, I don't even think he would know what that is. My five-year-old would not know how to smoke. <laughs> yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine, like, my son just grabbing a cigarette and a beer and <laughs> going oh. off to his room. <laughs> <laughs> my like, kids are still dumping the their, their Capri sons out on the counter. They're not going to be popping open a beer. Yeah. Yeah. But by age 10 or 11, he had added smoking pot to the mix and was getting in trouble at school for skipping and fighting, then was getting in trouble outside of school for stealing money and belongings of family and friends. And then by ninth grade, which would be like what, 14 or 15, he had a full-blown drug problem that was costing him around $200 a month for amphetamines and pot, which he was buying with money he was getting from stealing. And $200 at this time was equivalent to $1,074 today. So every month he is stealing $1,074 from people, whether it be their actual money or just things they own that he could sell. Like that's a lot of money. And he's Mormon? A close-knit Mormon. And he's like only 14 or 15 at this time. Like, where are his parents? Where is anybody? Yeah. Like at 14 or 15, I can't imagine stealing stealing that much stuff from somebody even for one month. I spent all my And not getting in trouble. What was I doing at 14 or 15? Probably watching anime. (laughs) (laughs) 
Wells himself said that between 1975 and 1978, he was involved with 30 thefts and assaults, which did end up getting him arrested. His first arrest was at age 15 for vandalism. So it's like when you're not stealing shit and doing drugs, you're vandalizing things. And then he was arrested again at age 17. And then one more time, he was arrested one more time before his murders occurred. In December 1989, Wells would get paroled for the final time. He was moved to minimum supervision from his parole officer December 18, 1990, which meant he only had to meet his parole officer once every six months. So this is December 18th. On December 20th, 1990, so this is two days after he got moved to minimum supervision, someone enters the Rose Pub in Boise, Idaho, and after no one tries to serve them, they look around the bar and find two bodies in the back room. The bodies were that of John Justad, a 23-year-old local beer distributor, and 20-year-old Brandy Rains, who was the bartender for the Rose Pub. Both had been savagely beaten over the head with a blunt object and police were believing it to be a robbery since there was cash missing out out of the register. And then both victims were taken to St. Alphonse's Regional Medical Center and both died a short time later. And evidence showed that John had fought back against his attacker. On April 23rd, 1991, Wells was arrested and charged with two counts of first-degree murder for John and Brandy. The judge ordered that he be held without bond and a preliminary hearing was set for May 8th. The police detective testified that Wells on two separate occasions confessed to murdering both John and Brandy. According to detectives, Wells changed his story multiple times. The first was that he beat them both because they owed him $3,000 for cocaine, which no, they didn't. (laughs) Like there's no way Wells, who's who's like a giant ass loser, would have ever had $3,000 worth of cocaine to sell when his entire life he's been a bottom feeder scraping off of taking other people's shit. (laughs) You did not have $3,000 of cocaine. You are not a fucking businessman. <laughs> like, what a fucking idiot. <laughs> uh, Wells did end up saying he lied about that confession, which, okay. <laughs> like, you yeah, did? it wasn't even a very oh. good one. So. <laughs> And this time he changed his story to him being at the bar with two of his cocaine dealers where he had to get money from John and give it to his suppliers, but the money John gave him wasn't enough. So the suppliers returned to the bar with Wells and beat John over the head with the bat and then gave the bat to Wells. So his suppliers are actually the real killers. Oh, right. Yeah. And this is the story that he would stick to until a couple of years into his prison sentence. But June 10th, 1991, Wells pleaded innocent for both murders because, you know, it was his dealers that did it. And his trial began October 15th, 1991. On October 24th, the jury found him guilty of both counts of first degree murder. And April 7th, 1992, Judge Gerald F. Schroeder sentenced him to death. And then Wells and his legal team tried to appeal the decision until February of 1993. So for a couple of years, he tried to appeal it. And then Wells asked for everything to be dropped and allow his execution to take place. He said he didn't want to spend any more time in a jail cell and had already made attempts to take his own life following the conviction. And that delaying his execution would only prolong the pain and suffering of not only his own family, but the families of his victims. 
He confessed through a phone interview that he wanted to clear his conscience and that what really happened at the time of the murders is he was full of rage and anger over his parole and he left his house the night of December 19th knowing he would kill someone. He had no reason for selecting his victims and that neither of them provoked him in any way. He arrived at the Rose Pub with a baseball bat that he left outside the door and spent a couple hours in the tavern, like just drinking and stuff, before retrieving the bat and attacking John as he exited the bathroom. He then turned his anger onto Brandy when she came to see what all the commotion was. He left the tavern and burned the baseball bat. And then he ended up saying it was time for them to die. Like that's a quote. That's literally what he said. It was time for them to die. So January 6th, 1994, Wells was executed in Cuna, Idaho at the Idaho Maximum Security Institution. He apologized to the families of his victims and was declared dead at 12.50 a.m. There are no official final words noted. And again, if you're wondering what his last meal was, this one sounds like he might've requested this one because this is a lot of shit. His last meal was an entire lobster, a well-done prime rib, fried potatoes, salad with tomatoes, onions, and Italian dressing, two pints of ice cream, a half a gallon of milk, a two-liter bottle of soda, and two apple fritters. Dude, that is a lot. Like, don't you don't you poop after you die? Isn't that a thing? I think so. I also, like, and I feel like that would be enough to make you sick. Like, do you not, like, puke or anything when you get, do you just go to sleep and none of your shit comes up? I don't know. Because I feel like even reading that makes me feel really full. Well, I wouldn't be eating a lobster in the first place. Ew, me but either. Never. I wouldn't be eating lot. prime rib either. I actually wouldn't be eating lobster, prime rib, fried potatoes. I would eat the salad, but I don't want the tomatoes or onions or the Italian dressing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'd eat the ice cream. I definitely wouldn't be drinking the milk. I for sure have a two liter bottle of soda. Ew. I would love a two liter bottle of soda. <laughs> Since I didn't start this off with my little random fact, here's something that I heard. This might be false. So I could be giving false information. This is just what I heard. That the amount of times that a cow is milked, their nipples start to get sore. And so a lot of time there's actually pus squeezed into milk from their nipples being raw. I hope that's false. I feel like- I feel like I just saw a TikTok that also talked about that. Yeah, so we're all drinking pussy milk. However, I don't drink milk. We're not. <laughs> I was going to say, we're not doing that. I don't drink milk either, ever. Well, yeah. well, even like breastfeeding with how long I breastfed and pumping, my nipples would get really sore. Yeah. But his execution was the first one in over 36 years and was, his, was the first uh, lethal injection execution. And he is still... The only person, like the first and only person in Idaho to voluntarily be executed, Hmm. which goes back to how funny it is, how hard Rhodes was fighting to not be executed. Dude, they're both dipshits. Yeah. So stupid. So that is two death sentence cases from Idaho. And so far there have not been any other executions since. Well, I don't know. I should have looked up how many people are on death row in Idaho. So that'd be kind of interesting to see, huh? My children's father was actually a 
correctional officer for death row and an inmate was being transferred and the correction officer did not pat this inmate down and my children's father ended up getting stabbed by a death row inmate in his leg and he has a, a massive scar from it. How well are they even paying attention to the inmates if that inmate was able to conceal a, sh- a shiv? <laughs> a shank? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I obviously not very good. So your random fact was a gross one. Mm-hmm. And just in the middle of the episode. Yeah. Thanks for a being... random fact randomly put in. Yeah. So thanks How for that for random? with us. Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs> See you later. See you next, next time. time. Bye. Bye.